Welcome everyone again for our English worship service. We just ended our stand, our study through the book of Daniel uh, last week. Uh, we're going to take two weeks off and then we'll pick up a new sermon series after uh, uh, the Sunday after Nixon uh, in the first week of September as we begin our new church uh, year. One of the reasons why we wanted to take communion uh, first today in our worship service was because I think as we are going to talk about what we talk about later in this sermon, it is so important that we remember what Christ has done for us. That it is out of our overflow of experience of God's love in our lives that we will be able to carry out what we're going to talk about in a little bit. So if you have your Bible with you, please turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, after spending quite a bit of time in the Old Testament, we're going to hit up the New Testament. Luke chapter 19, verse 1 to 10. Verse 9, uh, chapter 19, verse 1 to 10. Here's what the Word of God says. He, meaning Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to in to be with the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this time in the Word of God. Speak to us, open our hearts, tune our ears to hear what you have to say to us today. And tune our hearts to receive the fullness of Christ uh, through our time in, in diving into your Word. So Lord, it was to that end that you, will, you would you prepare our mind and our hearts and our souls to receive all that you have for us today. Help us to be good listeners of your words. Lord, be with me. Help me to preach only what pleases you. Help me to preach only what is of your heart. And Lord, help us not just be hearers of your word today, but help us to be doers of your words. We thank you for this gift of your word that not only have you saved us from our sins, but you equip us, empower us through the truth that has set us free. So Lord, be with us. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, I love uh, funny t-shirts. Uh, sometimes I will Google just to look up funny t-shirts. My wife knows that I get a crack out of these uh, really witty and, uh, and, and kind of punny t-shirts because they have so much wisdom in it. So I want to show you a few. Here's the first one that you see. It says this, my, my husband's wife is awesome. So obviously the wife is the one who put, put this shirt together, right? Here's another one. The age doesn't come with wisdom. Sometimes age comes alone. I try that out next time when you speak to an older person and see how that happens. 
right? right, here's another one. I love this one because it fits me. I am in shape because why? Round is still a shape, right? So there's, there's, everyone is in shape. It's just a matter of what kind of shape you're in. But here's the one that I love the most and relate to what we've been talking about today. Here's what it says. Here's the last one. Always remember that you are absolutely unique, just like everyone else. I mean, this is dripping with irony, isn't it? You are so special. You are so unique. That's the type of world that we live in, right? My kids participate in a, in a, in a, in a, in a sports league and everyone get a trophy. You are so special. But guess what? Everyone's all have the same exact trophy as you do, right? So it's really funny and ironic that we say everyone is unique, but at the same time, we treat everyone the same. But I think the simple fact is that indeed we are all made uniquely by God. I think that part is really true that we are all made uniquely. We're a unique person with unique personality, unique upbringing, unique language that we speak. And most, most of us here speak English. You, we also have brothers and sisters who speak Chinese. And in, in our country, in the world, there is a, a lot of uniqueness in the way how God has made us. But not only is it, are we made uniquely as a person, we are also made uniquely as a church. Just to give you an example, even though our, our mother church in LA, FCPCLA, planted our church here, there is a distinct uniqueness about our church here in SGV. And there is, our LA church is different from our SUV church. A church in America is different from a church in Korea. Within state, within city, there are probably 20 uh, other churches within, um, within Temple City and SGV area, more than that. And each church, though they might be a Chinese church, Chinese American church, it doesn't matter. We all have different personality. We all have a little different niche of, uh, of being a church, that we all believe in Jesus, but we're unique uh, in, in the makeup of those churches. And I think it is intentional by God that he created churches to be different. Because by being unique and different, we get to invest and reach out to different people. That there are people that you and I as a church here in SGV can reach out to that, that other churches can't. May it be because of relationship or because of our upbringing or language itself. I think it takes every type of church, all kinds of churches, granted with the underscore that, that they believe in Jesus the fundamentally that, they, this in, uh, that through Christ, by faith alone, that we have salvation, that, that all kinds of, it takes all kinds of churches to reach out to all kinds of people. And so it is so important for us to remember that uniquely we are made uh, by God, but as a church, we are also made uniquely because God has a purpose for this church. I think uniquely can go both, way, both ways, right? You can't be uniquely, uh, there's some in, in uniquely bad things that maybe we're, we, we, we have in our church, that we need to grow in. But there's also distinctives that we have in this church that perhaps can reach out to a certain type of group of people. And though we are uniquely made by God, formed by God as a church, what we also need to realize that we're not only uniquely made, but we're uniquely made for the same mission. That we're not only made uniquely for our own purpose, but we're made uniquely for the same purpose because we all know at the end of Matthew, in fact, actually every single gospel, even uh, including the book of Acts chapter 1, God, Jesus had given us a mission. 
the one that, uh, that are most known and most memorized, and uh, particularly in our church and congregation, we recite this almost, uh, for a while, for the whole year, is Matthew 28, 19. We call that the Great Commission. Right Here's what it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And so we're uniquely placed, uniquely made, uniquely formed, but we all have that one mission, and that is to go and make disciples of all nations. We're all called to bring the lost to Christ and help them to follow Jesus so that they can be conformed to the likeness of Christ. And it doesn't matter where you are in the world, what church you are in the world, that ought to be the singular focus of that church. And I would argue that would be, should be the singular focus of our lives, that we have the same mission. And that's why God has, has called us to be the church. But I think the problem a lot of times is not that we're, we don't want to be the church. More, a lot of times what we want to do is we want to do the church. We want to do church. What I mean by that is we just kind of go attend an event. Church to us becomes a time slot on my calendar or a habit that will show up. Well, maybe like some of you guys show up on online right now. We can't meet on, in person. You show up online, listen to a few songs that we sing. Uh, we appreciate our worship team leading every week. Heard, uh, pray together, take communion, listen to a sermon. And then after an hour, 15 minutes, then life goes on. See, that's what doing church is like. It's just a, a routine, a tradition, a thing to do. But I think the Great Commission goes beyond just action. There is a, 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 a focus on why we do these things. We're called to not do church, but we're called to be the church. I think that's one reason why some of us or a lot of Christians are struggling because in this uh, COVID-19 season is because Doing church is a little different now. It's hard to do church now because you don't get to go there. It takes a lot more initiative. It takes a lot more uh, genuine love for Jesus for you to get up and, and to, to be in front of the screen. And it seems so foreign because what God calls you to do is not do church, but be the church. And in order for us to be the church, we have to live up to the Great Commission. We have to go and make disciples. That's what being the church means. Is not just because the church can, is closed, the building of the church is closed, doesn't mean that the mission of church is, is, is delayed or stopped. We are called to make disciples of all nations with or without COVID-19. And especially what we just experienced through communion, we're reminded that there should be an outlet of the gospel coming to us. The gospel should not stop where you're at. You and I should not be a cul-de-sac of God's grace and love. Instead, that should be a, there's an outlet to the people around us so that we can make and go and make disciples of all nations. Many times I think we know that. And I, at least I hope you know that. The problem a lot of times is not that whether we know it or not. I think it's the difference between being intentional and having good intention. A lot of times we have good intentions to go make disciples. We have good intention to go share the gospel. We have good intention to want to care for our friends. But those are just good intentions. You know what good intentions are? Good intentions are wishful thinking. Good intentions are when you wake up in the morning and say, should I go out for a run? And you say, well, I can, I can sleep in for 15 minutes. Good intention is I can pick up my Bible and read, but well, I can do that later. Intentional is 
something that you actually do. You do it whether you feel like it or not. You do it, you do it to make a difference, whether in your life or other people's lives. But in the context of talking about the Great Commission, good intentions are not good enough. We need to be intentionally living, going, and making disciples of all nations. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Today we're going to look at the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. I love this story because it gives us a full, complete picture of how every salvation actually involves three different groups of people. Three different components that cause, that bring forth a salvation. Here in the story of Jesus, Zacchaeus, we see there are different parts, three essential components when people come to know Jesus. And so let's go, I want to go through each one of these components, the important components. The first components we see here is this, that, that for every salvation to happen, there needs to be an unbeliever. There is someone needs to be lost, someone that does not have Jesus. That's what salvation means is someone was saved. So in order for salvation to take place, there needs to be unsaved people. And in the story, we find one unsaved person. At least the main character is the unsaved person. There are perhaps others who are in the crowd. Here's what it says in, 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 in chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. The unbeliever there obviously was Zacchaeus. The text tells us to pay attention to this. The author, the author uh, Luke, tells us that you need to pay attention because every time you see the word behold, literally means like, look, wow, look, pay attention. There was a, name, man, a, a, a man named Zacchaeus. And they were in Jericho, one of the most uh, um, uh, commercial city at the time in Jerusalem. There are a lot of hustle and bustle going on. It's a big city. And there was, of all the people in the crowd, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a special individual. The text tells us that he was a chief tax collector. And also he was rich. He was rich because he was not only a tax, tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. Before you, you start looking at model your life after him, you need to realize tax collector was not a profession that the Jews liked very much back then. Because they were the people who they would consider as sellouts. They were the people that will squeeze money out of people because they were supposedly to be the one who collect tax on behalf of the Roman Empire from the Jewish people. But what they often do, and the reason why people like Zacchaeus was very rich was because they were asked for so much more than what the Roman government required. And so when they asked for this large sum of money, they will keep some in their own pocket and they give to the Roman uh, Empire whatever that they're supposed to get. And so you can just imagine people who are Jews who are angry and upset at those who are tax collectors because they themselves are Jewish people oftentimes and they are squeezing money out of their own people. They are disloyal. They are traitors, they are greedy, they're swindlers. And it is that person who is the unsaved person in this story. Here as we see in Zacchaeus was interested in finding out more about Jesus. Just like everybody else in the crowd, somehow these people have heard of Jesus previously. Supposedly this Jesus Christ was the, the Messiah as he claimed to be. So people uh, were coming around wanting to hear about who this Jesus is and what is, was he the real deal. And Zacchaeus wanted to do the same thing. But there was a problem. 
The problem was a physical one. The problem was that Zacchaeus was too short. I can feel his pain. I oftentimes struggle with being so short. Here's Luke chapter 19, verse 3. That says, he was seeking, Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not. Why? Because he was small in stature. There was a barrier, a literally physical barrier between Zacchaeus and Jesus because there was a big crowd. And unfortunately, Zacchaeus was very short. He cannot jump and he cannot see over the crowd. There was a barrier between the unsaved person and Jesus. And for every unsaved person that you know, every lost person, unbelievers that you know, there is always a barrier, sometimes multiple barriers between that person and Jesus. For Zacchaeus, it was a physical one because he was too short. There was a crowd. He can't get through. He can't look over. That's why he couldn't get to Jesus. For some people in this world, in fact, 3.2 billion people, they have a physical barrier to Jesus as well because there are no Christians in where they live. That within miles of where they live, they cannot find someone to tell them about Jesus. Physically, they don't have the Bible to teach them about Jesus. Physically, there's no Christians to tell them about Jesus. Every morning I pray for unreached people group. Wrapping my head around the reality, the physical barrier that these people have. Though they might even want to know Jesus, but physically they can't know Jesus. In the same way as Zacchaeus, there is a physical barrier. And for some, it's not a physical barrier. For some, it is a cultural barrier. Perhaps you know some people like that, perhaps in your own family, your own relatives that are culturally Buddhist, they are Chinese, they are with different ethnicity, that culturally they see Christianity as a Western religion. I've served in Muslim countries before, and, and every time when I share the gospel with them, they will find the gospel to be a great news, only to be hindered by the cultural barrier, thinking that if they came to know Jesus, they will become American. And because of that, they are hesitant to give their lives over to Christ. As a result of that, they're, they're hesitant to tell their parents that they want to believe in this Jesus. There are cultural barriers that keeps people from going to Jesus. Not only physical, cultural, there are also relational barriers keeping unsaved people from Jesus. It's unfortunate that many times, those of us who are Christians are the bad Christians are the ones that bear bad witness for Jesus with our unsaved friends and family. There are so many people that I've known that they have a bad experience with Christians, perhaps a bad Christian boyfriend, which is a bad thing in the first place that you shouldn't date non-believers, but they, there's a bad Christian boyfriend that treated the girl un, uh, uh, not nicely. There's uh, bad Christian co-workers. There's, there's bad Christian uh, friends, bad Christian families. That as Christians, they don't have a good experience with Christians in the, in the first place. So that become a barrier for them to come to know Jesus. They look at your life and my life and say, I don't want a Jesus that can't change this guy. It is crazy to me how oftentimes as Christians, we can be the loudest group, the biggest group in a restaurant. And yet we, we are trashing the place up after staying for overtime and we are not tipping them appropriately. And I remember specifically hearing waiters saying that they know that these are Christians and they give the worst tips. 
relationally, we can, there are barriers between unbelievers and Jesus. I think deep inside there is a spiritual barrier between unsaved people and Jesus as well. As spiritually speaking, they are clouded, blinded with their darkness and with their sins. With the lies of sin, that has kept them from crossing, uh, that has become a barrier between them and Jesus. And I can list million more reasons, million more barriers, but at the end of the day, we know there are one, if not more, barriers between unsaved people and Jesus. But here's the beauty of this story, that that barrier has been crossed, that barrier has been broken, because we see the second part of every salvation in story is this, that not only are unsaved people, we be kept, uh, there's a barrier between unsaved people and Jesus. The other part of this, not only there's unbelievers, there, a salvation only can take place because there is a Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the second component to every salvation story that you can hear, that an unsaved person somehow miraculously overcome the barrier to cross over to see and meet Jesus. That's what happened to Zacchaeus here. Let's continue the story in verse 4. Here's the second component of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So, so he ran. So Zacchaeus ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house together, uh, today. So he hurried, came down, and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the crowd saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Here's a story. Takes Zacchaeus could not see Jesus. There's a barrier. What happened? He climbed up to a sycamore tree. And he saw Jesus, and I, I think better than him seeing Jesus, the, the, the miraculous thing is not he's seeing Jesus. The miraculous thing is that Jesus saw him. Jesus saw him, and we saw the product, the final product, a, a radical transformation to a person who's been seen by Jesus. Because immediately, Jesus invited him to go to his house. And to that, the crowd went crazy. He's like, wait, why would you go to a sinner's house? Remember, they don't like tax collector, and particularly, they don't like the chief tax collector. Yet Jesus showed his companionship, his relationship with Zacchaeus. Of course, this is not the full detail of the story, but what we see is that through that encounter with Jesus, look at what it says. The guy who was once greedy, the guy who was once a traitor, a sellout, the guys whom everyone hated. In fact, the guy whom everyone was seen to be a sinner. Look at verse 8, what happened. He said to Jesus, the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. See, that's what happens. When, G, when people get a real experience with Jesus, people's lives changed. No one in the crowd there would imagine that Zacchaeus would ever give back anything to anyone, not to say fourfold over. 
But that radical transformation takes place when they, that person get in to the relationship with Jesus Christ. That the person has seen Jesus, but better yet, Jesus has seen that person. And through that, salvation was brought forth in that person and make a real dent into this life. A real change in this life. Here's what we need to remember. That Zacchaeus was an unbeliever. There's a barrier for him to go to Jesus. But here's a second component of salvation is that Jesus Christ is the only one who saves. And Jesus is the only one that can save. See, the work of salvation is always the work of Jesus Christ. It starts with Jesus Christ. It goes on with Jesus Christ. It ends with Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered why Zacchaeus all of a sudden wanted to find out about Jesus? He might be curious, but have you ever wondered why he was so curious in the first place? He could have been staying at home, counting up all his money that he got and cheated from the people, and just look at Jesus, hear about Jesus, and whatever, just another man claiming to be, to be the Messiah. We've heard that before. But for whatever reason, this chief tax collector made his way to the crowd, a crowd that doesn't like him, and daring enough to climb up to a tree. Why would anyone do that? See, it's not because of him. See, God has already working in his life. The work of salvation is not the work of Zacchaeus himself. Really, God has already prepared his heart, prepared us so much that he caused curiosity. Whether we're right or wrong motives, we don't know. But enough that makes him to go to a crowd, climb up a tree to look for Jesus. But that was just the beginning of that. When, when Jesus called him, guess who gave him the faith to believe in Jesus? Jesus. See, the work of salvation is not only Jesus and working prior to, to the time that the people understand the gospel, even in the midst of hearing the gospel, in the midst of experiencing Jesus, God gave the person faith to believe. But that's not all. We see that that faith has expressed in work. That Zacchaeus was willing to give back fourfold of all the people that he has cheated and defrauded. See, the work of salvation is always the work of Jesus. Here's the most important truth that we need to remember because if you forget about this, you will be filled with guilt and shame. We have to remember that Jesus is the Savior and you are not. No one saves other people. No one can change the mind of people. Only Jesus can prepare their hearts, change their heart, and renew their hearts. Only Jesus can do the work. And when you come to turn with that reality that Jesus Christ is the only Savior and you're not, it will free you. It will free you from the guilt. It will free you from the shame that every time when someone say no to your invitation, every time someone say no to your gospel sharing, every time someone say no to, 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 to your Christianity, no longer would you feel like it's your fault. Guess what? Perhaps the person is not being prepared at the right time to receive the gospel. See, you don't get to, to, to persuade people. You don't get to change their, their mindset. You only do the job of presenting and inviting because the ultimate savior is Jesus Christ. And you get to free yourself from the guilt and say, oh, did I do something wrong? Can I not do, I mean, I need to do better. We should learn and grow in sharing the gospel. But ultimately you cannot change someone's heart. 
And we see this when someone, when Jesus prepared people and break down the barrier. And then when that person came in contact with Jesus, their lives can be changed. And I think, I believe deep down, each one of us who have been changed by Christ, we have a story to tell. Maybe not the same story as Zacchaeus that would get back fourfold. But there are real radical transformation in your life and my life. So we know that is the reality. So we also need to live with that reality, trusting that somehow when that barrier is broken down, unsaved person like Zacchaeus, the worst of sinners that most people consider, when they come in contact with our Lord Jesus Christ, lives can be changed. And the reality, only Jesus can do that. So before you close the Bible and say, well, okay, that's good. Jesus do his work, does his work, and I'm done. I'm just sitting and chilling and sit back and watch. There's another element that we see in the story that relates to you and me. Yes, Jesus does the work of saving, but Jesus does the work of saving through you and me. You and I have a part to play in this because there's the third component through every salvation. That there is Zacchaeus, the unsaved, there's Jesus Christ, the Savior, and then there are Christ followers like you and me that we get to play a part in every salvation, whether directly or indirectly. As Christ follows, we are an integral part of bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. If it is not the case, Jesus would not give us the great commission. It baffles me. That third, this third piece of the pie, this third component, God would chose us. There are far greater tools and vessels, but Jesus chose us to the means of grace and a blessing to those who are unsaved. Most sermons, when we look at uh, this story that I've heard, focus on Jesus and Zacchaeus. In fact, in, your, in my Bible, the title is Jesus and Zacchaeus. But what I want to draw our attention today is this. That your part, my part, is not Zacchaeus, is not Jesus, but really is a very boring object of a tree, a sycamore tree. Look at verse 4 with me. If you're not careful, you read through this story, you can quickly pass through verse 4 and miss this. Verse 4 in chapter 19, Luke. So Zacchaeus ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. There was a barrier. There was a physical barrier between Zacchaeus and Jesus. And guess what happened? There happened to be a sycamore tree where Zacchaeus can climb up high enough to make eye contact with Jesus, high enough to be noticed by Jesus, high enough that Jesus recognized him and called him and said, I'm going to stay at your house today. You see that sycamore tree? We have no idea who planted that tree. We have no idea why someone planted that tree, how long that tree has been there. It doesn't matter, but for the right time and the right place, God somehow used that tree so that it be become a platform for Zacchaeus, the unsaved person, to see Jesus. You see, that's you and me. That's what you and me, you and I are called to be, to be the sycamore tree in people's lives. See, we are planted in people's life for a reason. Every circle of influence, everywhere you walk to, God had planted you there as a sycamore tree 
so that an unbeliever can climb onto you. Unbeliever can, can, can step onto you so that they can see Jesus. Here's the thing about sycamore tree. There's nothing spectacular about sycamore tree. In fact, if you know anything, if any, any time seen a sycamore tree, it's not a very appealing tree. There's these spots on it. It is messy. It drops fruit uh, and drops seed around. It's incredibly hard to clean. It used to be on streets a lot of times, sycamore tree, but because it's so hard to clean it, no longer are sycamore trees along the main streets anymore. You see, here's the thing about sycamore tree. is It's not noticeable. It's not, uh, it's not that flashy, but, the, but it serves a purpose. At the right place for the right purpose and the right time, God can use that sycamore tree and change a man who was one a chief tax collector, the sinners in, the people's, in, in all the people's eyes, to become one who is radically generous to those whom he had defrauded. See, that's you and I. A lot of times we think of sharing the gospel, living for Jesus is this glamorous thing that I need to be sent out on the church, laid hands on, and we send them halfway around the world. I guarantee you most people do not even notice that sycamore tree. But at the right place in the right time, because Zacchaeus had this hunger for Jesus, he saw that tree and climbed onto that tree. That's the reason why you and I are planted in people's lives. But not only is a sycamore tree is boring, there's nothing flashy about it. In order for Zacchaeus to go on that tree, that tree needs to be stepped on need to be climbed over that's how we are sometimes right that's what we need to be are you willing to be a platform for someone to step on step all over to be the servant to the people like Zacchaeus see a tree doesn't get to choose who to climb on him can't climb on it at all the tree doesn't say well Zacchaeus you're a chief collector tax collector I don't want you to step on me the tree just stand there and just exist there, be present there. And when there's the right place at the right time, someone wants to climb what they climb on. So a lot of times we become very choosy in the ones that we want to share the gospel with. We will say, well, you are the, you are the Zacchaeus type, maybe not this time. No, you are easier. Well, come on up. Now you're a little too far. You're a little too tall. You know a little too much. But when you look at the sycamore tree, the sycamore tree was just present and be ready to be trembled even, to climb on, to sit on, so that it will provide a view for the unbelievers to see Jesus and for the unbeliever to be known by Jesus. That's what we're called to be. As believers, we're called to be that sycamore tree. We're called to be present in people's lives. And for every one of us, we can be a sycamore tree. I came across this acronym. Perhaps it will help you to put some names in your, in your mind, thinking about who can you be a sycamore tree to this coming week and for the rest of your lives. This acronym is, is pretty cool. It's called FRAN, F-R-A-N. I think most of the time when we think, think of people who we're allowed to, oftentimes are just a friend that we have, that we're close to, that we'll share the gospel to. But every one of us has a friend. It stands for F, stands for friend, those who are really close to your love, to hang out with. R stands for relatives, families that we have. A stands for associates, for those who are working, or your, your people at your school, your classmates that you have, people you, you have a working relationship with. 
and ends, ends stand for neighbors. And think about it for yourself and for, sometimes even for me. We tend to just be a master, an expert of one of these squares, one of these quadrants. But when in reality, we have all these areas that we can be a sycamore tree too. We can be a sycamore tree to, to someone who is literally a neighbor for us. Na- neighbor next to us. Next to our apartment. Next to our house. Next to our room. We have families who are unsaved. We have friends certainly we know are unsaved. And we have co-workers. And, and the, the challenge I want to give you is this. Don't be choosy as a sycamore tree. Perhaps God had planted you to, that, uh, to be the sycamore tree to the person who annoyed you the most in your class. Perhaps it was to the teacher that is the most unfair teacher you've ever had. To a superior that you have no respect to. To her neighbors that party all night long and keep you up. And God said, I planted you there. To be the tree. Be faithful in doing what I call you to do and let me take care of the rest of it. You may be wondering, oh, how can I be a sycamore tree this, this week? I'm glad you asked. Because as you know, next week we're going to have a special outreach Sunday. And here, what I want you to do right now, I don't encourage people to use their phone all the time during the sermon time, but I actually want you to take out your phone or on your laptop. I want you to open up to our, our church website, uh, particularly this link, fcbcsgv.org slash invite one, the numeric one. Because what I want you to do is this. I want to I call you to obedience to what you just heard from the message. There are a million ways that you can be a sycamore tree to someone. But we have a very immediate way that you can do. You can invite someone next Sunday to join our online worship service. We have Outreach Sunday. We'll be preaching a message on finding hope. I can imagine so many people are looking for hope in this time during COVID. No matter what age group they are at, we will have services for our Cantonese service, Mandarin service, and also English service. And what I want you to do is if you go to that website, our sister, uh, one of our sisters have prepared a graphic for you. On that website, there are three ways that I want to challenge you, encourage you to take steps of obedience in, in being a sycamore tree to your friends, to, to, to each one of your quadrant, to your friends, to your relatives, to your associates, to your neighbors. There are three ways you can do it. The first way is you can just put that, download that graphic and put it on your profile on your social media. Maybe Facebook, Instagram, whatever social media platform you have. And keep that on for the whole week. So every time someone see it, your profile, they will see your, uh, see your post, they will see that invitation to remind them. That's one way. The second way is this. That I want you to download that and tag somebody and share, share with specifically somebody to personally invite them to join us next Sunday. And then the third one is this. It will take a little bit more time, but I think really it doesn't take that much time, is you record a testimony. Keep it short, keep it personal, just how you have experienced the love of Christ in your life. It can be your salvation testimony, it can be your recent testimony, how you have seen God work in your life. And at the end of that, tag that to someone and say, hey, you know, this is what God is doing in my life. I want to invite you to come find out more about Jesus and the hope that I have in Christ. And you're thinking, well, I can't do any of that. I don't know what to write. Guess what? In the website, we also put down some suggested script that you can use. So if you can't think of anything, copy, paste, and tag, and send. So no one should have any excuse that you cannot be a sycamore tree to any one of your friends. 
And so here's what I want to challenge to do. I know how it is. I, for me, it is not an easy thing to do either. But I want to challenge you to take your step out and be that sycamore tree to someone, to multiple people this week. So that next week when we go online on YouTube, our YouTube worship service, that we get to introduce, we get to be the platform that pe- let people see Jesus and better yet, let see Jesus see them. Whenever we do invitation like this, whenever we ask people, I know it goes on in my head a million questions. And oftentimes those are negative questions. Maybe you're thinking, well, what if they reject me? What if they think I'm some weirdo? What if I ask somebody and they never reply? What if they kept that, that, that response dot, 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 and nothing? Or what if they just plain old just reject me and say, stop talking about Jesus? And I think those are legitimate questions. I mean, those things could really happen, but I want to challenge you in this. Start thinking positively. Start praying positively. Maybe put a mute to those negative what-ifs, and what, what if we focus on the positive what-if? What if God has been prepared this person's heart, and all it takes is for me to ask this person, invite this person? What if this person say yes? What if this person heard about Jesus next week and actually gave their life to Jesus? What if this person is Zacchaeus? What if that person is the Apostle Paul? As a result of that person, what if that person eventually become Greg Laurie, become Billy Graham, become a missionary that brings the gospel to one of those 3.2 billion people around the world that have not yet have the name of Jesus proclaimed to him? What if? What if? What if God is doing something in that person's life? Verse 10 in this story ends in Jesus proclaiming his purpose on earth. Jesus says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Yes, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus is the only one who can do the saving. But God has also called you and I to be a bridge, to be a mediator, to be a tree, to invite people, to bring people into his presence. Our last year's church theme, I don't know if you know, is shine. I really want to encourage us to finish the church year well in the next two weeks, in the week to come. That you will take the opportunity to invite, to be the sycamore tree to those who are unsaved around you. I'm going to invite the worship team up. I'm going to sing two more songs, and, and this is one of the few times that I will actually call you not to sing as much. But as they are singing, leading, up, up, uh, leading us in worship, what I want you to do is this. I want you to actually take out your phone, take out your iPad, take out your laptop. If you don't have any social media, just go on your, your email, send it to somebody. I want you to actually take the time to obey Jesus right now. I want to challenge you to go text somebody, share that to somebody. Perhaps it's someone who's been, haven't been to church for a while. Perhaps someone who's never heard of Jesus before. Someone who has rejected you a billion times. I want you to take the next few moments to be praying for those people. Go through your contact list. Go through your followers on your Instagram. You have a thousand followers. Go through every one of them. Start praying and start sharing what, uh, these invitations to those people. And I pray 
And I invite you to pray by faith that God will do something miraculous next week.